Hi, this is Mike. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing at the Heights Fellowship. We hope you enjoy this message. We know it's not the same thing as being here in person, but we pray that God would move as you listen and as God applies this to your heart. We're in this series on hearing the voice of God. And, and last week we started part one of this talk about what would God say to us? And we're going to pick that up and finish that this week. C.S. Lewis famously said that if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, then certainly don't choose Christianity. Christianity at its core is not designed to make us feel comfortable. And here's the thing. I think at least as far as Christianity in the West, one of the problems that we have is we've become entirely too comfortable. And there's a difference between comfort and confidence. Confidence understands the resources that you bring to bear, and I can deal with this as I need to deal with it. Comfort says, I don't have to do anything. I can rest and relax in this. That defines Western Christianity. And C.S. Lewis nailed it on the head when he said, listen, don't recommend Christianity if you want to be really comfortable, all right? Christianity is an unsettling force in the world, and it should be in a good way, in a way for the Lord, all right? And that's why it's so important to make sure that when we hear voices, that we're hearing the Lord's voices and not our own or not some cultural voice or not something else. Central to the idea of being in a relationship with God is this, relating. That's the does statement of the day. If you want to have a relationship, you've got to be able to relate. And that makes communication vital for our relationship to have vitality. And so that's why we've been on this series. And you remember the preceding weeks, we've said several things. But one of the most important things that we've touched on, this is the third time I brought it up to you guys, is that when God spoke to the people in the scriptures, the people in the scripture knew it was God talking to them. Even the people that really didn't have a whole lot of understanding of God knew it was God talking to them. And secondly, they understood what God was saying to them what he was commanding them or what he was, was trying to move them to do. And, and they knew that they had had a God encounter. Folks, that was true in the scripture and it needs to be, it should be, it ought to be true today. And so a couple of weeks ago, we began to look at the idea of, okay, how do you know it's God's voice? And the first thing we said is, you can recognize God's voice by the way he approaches you. Jesus in John chapter 10 said, I'm the good shepherd. I enter through the gate. I don't have to storm the castle. I'm supposed to be there. I'm the shepherd. My sheep know my voice. I go to the gate. I call my sheep. They come to my voice because they know me. Right, so he, he doesn't have to storm the gate. The whole adage that God has to come just completely overwhelm you with some fantastic event isn't necessarily true. It will be overwhelming when you encounter God. Don't mistake that. But he doesn't have to do some sort of phenomenon, some natural phenomenon for that to happen. And so we recognize God's voice through his approach. Another thing that God does is he's personal rather than general. He doesn't speak in general. He talks to you. And, and then thirdly, he draws us to follow him rather than drives us. So we recognize God by his approach. Now let me ask you something. How is God talking to you in these days? He ought to be. We need to be hearing the voice of God individually as a church as well. We need to be hearing that. And then secondly, last week we talked about the ideas you can recognize God's voice by what he talks about, by his talking points. 
the stuff that he's going to discuss with us. And the first thing we said that God talks about was he talks about himself. That, that's not God being vain. God wants us to understand him. And the fact that God would talk to us at all is a gift. It's incredible that he would do that. Because he doesn't have to. Because of our sin, there's no reason even that he should. He should just be able to go on with whatever he wants to do. Yet he desires a relationship with us. And the relationship he most often wants to refer to us is a relationship of a father and a child. He wants us to know him as father. We talked a lot about this last week. And so you can go back and listen to the message last week and pick that up as well. He wants us to know him as father. This is what John wrote in his first letter, the letter of 1 John. He said, how great is the love the father has lavished upon us that we should be called what? Say it, children of God. How great is love. It's improbable that that would even happen. And yet, God has lavished his love upon us and he has called us the children of God. And that is what we are. So God's going to talk to us about himself. He's talking to us in terms of that relationship. You should be hearing that. Secondly, God talks to us about his word and how scripture relates to our lives. And by that, I don't mean that we pick and choose the scriptures we want to support the ideas and concepts and, and positions that we have. It means that we read the scripture and we adjust because scripture will make us adjust if we're going to follow God. We're going to have to change our attitudes. We're going to have to change some of our political positions. We're going to have to change a lot of the things about us in order to follow God into this world. Thirdly, God will talk to us about his way. In other words, the way that he wants to guide us. Here's what I need you to do. It's not, it may not be some great grand thing like I want you to go lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. It may be something as simple as, hey, I want you to be nice to this person that you work with. Be kind to them. Be gentle with them as you deal with them. Or it may be something in between. He's going to talk to us about the way he wants to guide us. And ultimately, he's going to talk to us about our sin. Uh, he, and he will talk to us very personally about our sin. If you've followed the Lord very long and you've been serious about it, you know he will do that. He'll talk to you about your prejudices. He'll talk to you about your preconceptions. He'll talk to you about all the things that you kind of, all the baggage that you carry into that relationship, and he'll begin to deal with that. And he, he loves us, and he accepts us just as we are, but he moves very quickly to begin to deal with that sin in our life. Don't mistake that. He's not going to leave you the way he found you. That's not the point. The point is to make us Christ-like. And so that's what we talked about last week. We're going to pick up on the last three things this week, and we're going to say the next thing that God talks to us about is who we are. And by that, I'm talking about our image of ourselves. How do we see ourselves? Let me give you a couple of passages, both out of Matthew. Matthew 19, 19, Jesus said this, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as what? yourself. That's an interesting concept. A lot of us tend to think that I either have to love myself or love my neighbor. I can't do both. God is saying, no, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. He picks that same idea up in Matthew 22 when he says, you know, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as what? Yourself. And in saying that, Jesus wasn't saying that we should promote some faux version of self-hate. 
Jesus assumed that you have an element, an amount of self-love. And so he's not saying, no, 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 don't love yourself, hate yourself. That, that, listen, you hear that voice, that's not of God. But he's saying, listen, love yourself and turn that love outward so that you can love other people that same kind of priority and that same kind of passion. Love the Lord, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. He says that twice in that. One of the secrets then to hearing God is to hear him speak about who you are. You've got to have, first of all, a proper God image, but you also need a proper self image. And that's when we're reminded that Christianity is not a religion of some version of human achievement. That's everything else, everything else in the world. But Christianity is a relationship of those who have achieved life and light through Christ. We turn that outward and we begin to share that. Over in Romans chapter 12, Paul wrote this. He said, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. That's a great statement for the day and age that we live. Don't think that you know it all. Don't think you understand it all. Don't think you have a perfect position in whatever your politic is. Don't think that, that you have the final answer and have to have the final say about everything. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should. Instead, be modest in your thinking. Understand, you know what? There is one who knows more than me. The Lord knows much more than me. There are other people in the world that understand this or may have uh, an insight that I don't have. And judge yourself according to the amount of faith God has given you. Did you catch that last part? Your source for self-assessment is from the Lord. It's not from psychology. It's not from philosophy. It's not from science. It's not from your vocation. It's not from your family. Your proper understanding and source of self-assessment comes from the Lord according to the amount of faith that the Lord has given you. Remember this always. The most important relationship that God wants to convey to us is that of a father and a child. And so we have to understand that if God talks to us, his language is never going to attack your self-worth. God convicts, God corrects, but he never says you are worthless. You know why? Because he sacrificed his son for you. Your value, and we'll touch on this again in a minute, your value is determined by what somebody is willing to pay for that. God will never condemn your value. You're hearing that voice, you're not hearing it from the Lord. You're hearing it from some other source. Dismiss that voice. So let me kind of answer the question that came up, okay, then what does God really think of us? We are not the center of God's universe, but God values us highly. Let me just share with you some of the things in the scripture that the Lord has said about us. First of all, he has said that he loves us with a what? Everlasting love. Jeremiah 31. Do you know anything about the book of Jeremiah? It's a really difficult negative book because God is confronting sin in his nation. He is about to release them to the Babylonians. 
Jeremiah lived just immediately before that happened and through some of that. And he's writing the word of the Lord as he's speaking his judgment over the sin of their nation, over the sin of the people. In the middle of all of that, there is this oasis where in Jeremiah 31, the Lord says, He appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Even in the midst of great sin, even in the midst of great apostasy and a falling away, the Lord loves the people that he has created. And he speaks to that. He values us with an everlasting love. Don't ever forget that about you, all right? Secondly, he even calls us as believers his inheritance. Listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You are his inheritance. When Christ comes back, the church, believers, the body is going to be considered and shown to be his inheritance. He calls us in 1 Corinthians 1, saints. Do you know what the word saints means? Some of you guys are going, yeah, it's a fan of a football team in New Orleans. No, it's something beyond that. For all you saints fans, it's something even greater than that. He says in 1 Corinthians 1, you have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did Christians everywhere. Whoever calls upon the name of, Je- of the Jesus Christ, our Lord, and theirs. That phrase, his own holy ones, in some translations, comes out saints. That's what it means. That's what the word saints means. That you are the holy ones of God. That's what he calls you. That's his estimation of you. And then there's this. God personally chose us. Now, folks, listen. It's time for the church to lose this debate about predestination, about Calvinism, Arminianism. Man, let it freaking go. You're never going to understand it. The Bible says he chose you. He acted first. You didn't act first. You are responsible for your choices, too. That's the double edge of this thing. But he chose you. Don't lose that. He acted when you couldn't act. He acted when you didn't want to act. He acted when you were an enemy to him. He acted first. He initiated. He loved you and chose you for his own. You want to get an even bigger picture of that? Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1. For consider your calling. Not many were wise according to the flesh. In other words... You guys were kind of idiots. Not many were mighty. You were weak. Not many were noble. You were kind of base. But God has chosen. He acted first. He deliberated and determined to take this course of action in regard to you. He chose you as a foolish thing in the world. The world will look at you and say, man, those Christians, they don't have the right education. They don't have the right connections. They don't have everything. Good. God chose you anyway. The world has always looked down on believers from the Old Testament to date. They're doing it now. Wear that as a badge of honor. The foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and God has chosen 
the weak things of the world, to shame the things that are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen the things that were not, that he might nullify the things that are, that no man should boast before God, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. You're only a believer because God went and got you. God, you're the sheep that God went and found. You didn't find Christ, who became the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, just as it's written, if you want to boast, boast in the Lord. He chose you. It wasn't because you brought anything to the table. What a great estimate. He said, listen, I want that one. I'm going to go get him. I'm going to go get her. And then there's the royal treatment. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, you are a chosen race. Picks up on that same thing. But then he goes on to say, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had once not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Look at the six descriptives that are given of you. This is God's estimation. You're royal. You are a proclaimer of excellencies. You are a dweller of light. You are God's own possession. You are God's people. You are the recipients of mercy. Does God look at you and love you? You better bet he does. You better walk out of here today understanding and knowing my God has a high estimation and value of me. So he's not going to speak in a way to demean your value. That's not the Lord's voice. He will deal with your sin. He will convict. He will correct. But he will never devalue you. And that's because of this. Value isn't determined by what you say something's worth. One of the things we laugh about in this church, we have like a gazillion realtors in this church. Right? Some of you realtors are going, yep, yep, there's a bunch of us in here. I mean, there's like seven of you here right now. And we love you guys. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm selling a house and it's worth half a million dollars, your, prob- your first statement is, okay, that's great. Let's see what it really is worth. Let's see what it appraises at. We see what it's willing to get on the market. Because you may think it's worth a half million dollars, but it only gets like 75000 on the market. You're not worth a half a million. Value isn't determined by how much you say something is worth. It's determined by what somebody will get for it. Well, what did God give for you? He gave the ultimate. He gave the life of his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but they'll have eternal life. That's the ultimate value. He values you that much. Second thing that God talks about that we're going to talk about today is he talks about how we should relate to other people. How how do we respond to our world? How do we respond to the people that I rub elbows with and brush up against in the day-to-day? The easiest way, the Scripture says, to show that you love God, there's two things it talks about constantly. Obey Him, do what He says, and love what He made. The Bible is full of examples where God says, you say you love me and you you hate your brother, you don't treat people well, you're not really loving me. Over in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said it this way, and the king will turn to them and tell them, I assure you, when you did it to the least of one of my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. I heard somebody say 30 years ago, and it stuck with me all these years, the way you love the person that you see the least is the way you love God the most. That's rich. Because that's different for all of us. You may look down on liberals and say, I hate those liberals. Well, the way that you love and serve liberals is the way that you love and serve God the most. 
or you just pick another people group, pick another segment of society. Whoever that is, the way that you love them the most is the way that you love God the most. Think about that. The way you did it to the least of one of these brothers of mine, you were doing it to me. God wants us to deal with our world in two things, mercy and justice. We're good at both of those things. Typically, though, humans want mercy for themselves, but they want God's justice for the people that they're opposed to. God, why don't you rain down your fire and brimstone on those whoever's, those terrible people. But God, God, give me mercy. The Lord said this over in the Old Testament. Toward the end of the Old Testament, he said, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I want you to think this morning about who is it that you need to show mercy to? Who is it that you need to show the love of Christ to in that way? That's the way God is speaking to you to relate to other people. In Galatians chapter 6, we get a really good instruct from this. Paul writes to the Galatians, he said, listen, if a Christian is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back into the right path. You should extend to do that. Now listen, he says, there's a caveat here. You do this, you share with a wary eye. He says, and be careful not to fall into the same temptation Don't get sucked into the undertow. Don't get tracked into the tractor beam of their sin. You're coming in from the outside to help them through it. And at some point, you may have to step back and say, listen, I can't can't do this anymore because I'm getting sucked into this. Share each each other's troubles and problems and in this way obey the law of Christ. So how does the enemy speak in regard to other, uh, to our relationships. He basically, we'll do three things that are really detrimental. The first thing he'll do, he, he will speak in value judgments to us. He will influence us to make value judgments. Generalizations regarding the worth of somebody. Oh, well, and it may be racial. It, it may be like a, a, some sort of geographic, demographic. In the Bible, there's this great statement where they tell uh, Nathaniel that Jesus is from Nazareth, and he says, well, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. That's what he's talking about. Nothing good comes out of Oklahoma. Nothing good comes out of, you know, South Texas. Nothing good comes out of Canada. Nothing good comes out of Europe or whatever. Nothing good comes out of some racial example. That's the enemy. The other thing that the enemy will speak to us about is he'll talk to us about our own justice. He'll talk to us about revenge. Extract this yourself. Do this to get even. Do this to get ahead. He'll talk to us by making degrading thoughts about somebody else. Well, they are a so-and-so and you demean them. You need to be speaking to the Lord on their behalf about them and let the mind of Christ change the way you feel. So here's what the Lord speaks. When the Lord speaks to us about our relationships, a couple of great, great suggestions. Number one, deal in truth. Admit what it is. If it was sin, it's sin. Deal in truth, but speak in love. You can do both. 
Paul wrote to the Ephesians church, he said, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, cunning craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. He's talking about the culture that he lived in. He's talking about the culture that we live in. They're going to say this. They're going to speak this. They're going to try to steer you and make you and mold you into this image. And he says, listen, you don't have to do that. He said, instead of doing that, speak the truth in love. I can tell you, no, I'm not going to do this. No, this is wrong. No, this is sin. And I can do it in a loving way. He says, do that. He said, when you do that, we will grow, we will, we will grow to become in every respect mature in the body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So deal in truth, but speak in love. Look for redemption in others. Philippians 4, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. There may be somebody in your life that has just been infected by evil. They're just infested with it. He says, look for the opportunity to bring redemption into their life. Listen, parents, some of you guys are estranged from your children. and This is the opportunity the Lord is saying, hey, look for redemption there. Some of you kids are estranged from your family, from your, estranged from your parents. This is the opportunity. Maybe it's a friendship. Whatever. Look for the opportunity. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about the things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Find those things in them. Look for redemption. Then become other-centered. Become the real OC, I guess we would say here. Two places, and I want to read you two versions of Philippians 2 because it's really good. He says, let each of you... And the ESV says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but the interests of others. That's kind of the traditional understanding. But I found this in a paraphrase, and I loved it because it's kind of a nice little shift that incorporates the previous statement, but it adds this. And don't just be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. As you're relating to other people, take an interest in them, in other words. That, that's one of the ways to not just look out for your own interests, but you're looking to the interests of other people. Become other-centered. So as we end today, I want to give you a list of, I think it's eight things is what I have, of how to be other-centered. These are really good handles. These are good application points for you guys as you go out this week. Okay, to be other-centered, first of all, be reasonable. Some of us are really good at taking some dogmatic stance and God is not even going to move us off of that place. Okay, there are some things that you need to hold to tenaciously. But there are a lot of things that we hold to tenaciously that really aren't that important. So be reasonable. Philippians chapter 4, let your, in most translations it says gentleness, but I found this, this version of it and I really like that because it really gives us a nice definition of the, the form of gentleness we're talking about here. Let your reasonable, reasonableness be known to everyone. Listen, she's a reasonable girl. You, you can come to her and talk to her. She's not just going to blast you with the furnace of hell. She's reasonable. The Lord is at hand. And the second thing is, be a peace chaser. A lot of us live our lives in the idea that, you know what? If they want peace, they can come to me and we'll make peace. We'll fix it. Jesus says, you be the one who extends 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's a great word to the church today, which the church is, is maligned, in some cases justifiably so, because it tries to do just the opposite. He says, be a peace chaser. And I've given you a lot of other cross-references on here. If you're taking pictures of these screens, uh, there's a lot of other great cross-references. Here's a number three. Be a grace giver. Don't just be a peace chaser. Be a grace giver. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. God, in some sense, is giving us some responsibility as we relate to people and deal with people. Keep bringing the grace of God before them. You can't make them take it. You can't make them receive that grace and respond accordingly, but you can keep bringing it. So be a grace giver in your conversations, in your responses, in your social media. And as you deal with your kids and, and you've got to correct a behavior, as you're dealing with your spouse or your boss or your neighbors... Be a grace giver. That is such an absent quality in so much of our world today. Let no one fall short the grace of God that no bitter root grows up. You see what happens when we don't give grace? We promote bitterness. Number four, be a fast forgiver. Look to forgive quickly. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Think through that. Forgiveness is an active word where you can't just say, oh, it was nothing. No, it was something. You have to actively extend forgiveness. Remember, the Lord forgave you. God could have looked at us and said, oh, it's nothing. You're all going to hell. But he extended and sent his son to die in our place to provide the means for forgiveness. He took your punishment and your penalty so that you could have his promise. Be a fast forgiver. Number five. Be a ready restorer. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Seek to restore that relationship. Remember, we're talking about relating to others, all right? Seek to restore that relationship. Make the phone call. Send the letter. Write the note. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. That's from Ephesians chapter 4. Number six. Initiate inclusion. Be an includer, in other words. My brothers, show no partiality. And this is what this is talking about. He's not talking about letting sin exist in the church. What he's saying is don't show partiality. Don't do it because of, of economics. Don't do it because of race. Don't do it because of friendship status. This, those of you guys that grew up in my youth group, few of you guys are in the room, you've heard this talk before. Because we talked about this all the time in youth ministry, in particular in youth ministry. Because it's so easy to slide into cliques in a youth group. Churches are guilty of the same thing. Businesses, neighborhoods, families, we all do it. And so he says, don't show partiality. Go out of your way not to be partial, in other words. As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus, the God of glory. Initiate inclusion. Number seven. Just a couple more. Be an eager encourager. Romans 15, let each of us, each one of us, make it their practice to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up 
spiritually. Let me ask you something. When you got to church today, what was your mindset? I got to do this. I got to do this. We got to get this church thing over. We got to go because we got the next thing this afternoon. I mean, I got a schedule too. I got things I got to do this afternoon as well, just like you. But here's the question. When you got here, as you were greeting the faithful, as you were walking down the halls, as you were dropping your kids off over in, in the, the kids' area, as, as you leave here today, who are you going to encourage? Who are you going to encourage? You're going to look around at your family and say, be encouraged, be encouraged. Don't do that. You're going to see them anyway. You go find somebody you hadn't talked to, you hadn't seen. And as you walk out the door, let me just encourage you, make that your practice. You know, they tell us when people visit churches, one of the most uh, vulnerable times for someone who is visiting a new place, a new congregation, we all think of as as they arrive, as they sit down, as the beginning of that. You hear over and over and over from people, listen, I didn't stay at that church. I didn't come back to that church because they greeted me as I got there because they're supposed to. Nobody said a word to me when I left. Guys, let's make that our practice. Just find somebody. Say, man, we're glad you're here. Hope you have a great day. How can I pray for you even? Be an eager encourager. Let each one of us make it his practice says in the Amplified Translation, to please his neighbor for his good. What can I do to help you out today? How can I pray for you? And some of you guys should say, man, I'm just waiting for somebody to do it to me. Good. Who are you going to do it for? And the last thing is this. As you relate to people, as God speaks to us about how we relate to other people, be an easy lover. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Be someone who is easy to love, that people will be drawn to. And above all, he says, First Peter says, above all, have fervent and unfailing love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. People are going to offend you. You are going to offend other people. We're quick to jump on those. And Peter's saying, listen, we understand that about people. But, but be an easy lover. Be easy to love. Find it easy to love other people because love covers a multitude of sin. It overlooks unkindnesses. It unselfishly seeks the best for others. Remember this. God wants us to relate, not to separate, in the church especially. The two things that divide us, minor doctrinal issues and experiences. We demand that somebody have the exact doctrinal perspective that I have, or we demand that somebody have the exact version of the journey that I have. I've encountered that myself just this week. If, if, you, haven't, if you haven't received a second giving of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, then you're less of a Christian. Or if you haven't given this amount, you're less of a Christian. If you don't serve, or you haven't had this background, or you haven't had that course or read that book, we do it all the time. Don't let those things divide you. Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, We come to such a unity in our faith, knowledge of God's Son, that we will be made mature and full-grown in the Lord. Well, how do you get there? How do you get to that level of unity? Before he says, listen, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as teachers, some as pastors, to prepare God's people for the work, the service. Get invested in your church and get invested in the Word of God. And you'll begin to understand that kind of unity. The last thing God talks to us about is faith. 
how faith affects, how faith changes everything. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. So why would he talk to us about our faith? He would talk to us about our faith because he's telling us, listen, you want to please me, you want to make me happy, you really want to help this relationship, do this. Trust me. Let me ask you something. What is it in your life that you're not trusting God about this morning? Is it a relationship? Is it money? Is it situation internationally? Is it, is it economics? What is it? He says, hey, trust me on this. Be faithful to me in this. Believe that I will do this. Another reason that he'll talk to us about faith is because it gives us the right perspective to overcome the challenges in our life. Faith doesn't mean that I don't do anything. Oh, Lord, you're just going to take care of it. That's not faith. That's irresponsibility. Faith says, Lord, I trust that you're, that you're going to take care of it. Teach me to have the right perspective and show me the next step that I need to take. Because it challenges us to build our relationship with him. Charles Stanley said this. He said, God is always challenging our faith. And in so doing, he builds our relationship with him and helps us grow in intimacy. God uses multiple reps. Some of you guys who lift weights, you know you're trying to get a certain number of reps, sometimes in a certain amount of time over a certain course of days, right? Because that helps tear down the muscle fiber and then build it back up, right? God uses multiple reps with us. And so as he does that, remember, as God speaks to us, his word will always line up with the whole of Scripture. God will never counter what he's already said in the Scripture in dealing with us in our world. The Bible applies today. Secondly, his word will cause you to trust him more. Look at the way God dealt with people in impossible situations all throughout Scripture and know that God wants to deal with us in our tough situations as well. His word will sometimes be repeated. Sometimes he'll expand or clarify on it as you come back to him with it, but he will use his word. Hebrews, 2, or Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us fix then our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Giglio said this. He said, you know, keep moving toward the voice of God. The voice that matches God's character, that echoes his word, that amplifies the cross, that reverberates from the empty tomb, the voice that calls you by name and tells you that you belong to him. You gravitate to that voice as you hear God. Listen to what he talks to us about. So as we end this morning, let me just pray over you this morning. Let me ask you a series of questions. First of all, how do you see yourself today? We talked about your image how do you see yourself today? What is God speaking to you about yourself? God may have spoken to you this morning and said, you know what, you need to trust me, you need to be saved. And to our online family, he's talking to you too. Secondly, how do you see others? How do you relate? What is the voice of God saying to you about your relationships and about other people? And then thirdly, how is God stretching and strengthening and growing your faith? What is he saying to you about that? Let's pray. So, Father, as we end this morning, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that, that you have a high estimation of the human creature, that you could have condemned us and done away with us in, in, in our entirety a long time ago. Yet, you love us. Lord, you bring us to the place that we can trust you and follow you. Lord, there are some this morning who have never trusted you as Savior. Lord, let this be the day. Lord, let this be the day they turn and yield their life to you, that they bend the knee and say, okay, I'll trust Jesus Christ because he's the only one who can save me. God paid the ultimate value for me through Jesus Christ. Father, as believers, I pray 
that our relationships would be beautiful, that they would begin to reflect the grace and the mercy that you have given us. We would respond that way to those around us. Father, I pray that as you strengthen and grow our faith, that we wouldn't fail and flag and and fall out because it's so tough, but we would trust you that you'll work it out so that we can have a testimony to come back and say, this is what my great God did in my life. But Lord, make our lives reflect you and be beautiful. Thank you for talking to us. Let us hear clearly this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being a part of what God's doing here at the Heights Fellowship. If the Lord led you to make a decision or you have a question or a need, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at the email listed below, info at theheightsfellowship.org. And we will join you in praying as you take a step forward on your journey with God.